Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. All right, how's everybody doing again? Good, good, good. Three goods, we'll take it. All right, uh, we're going to continue this morning a a series that we started a couple weeks ago on grace, on God's grace. And I just want to recap really quickly uh, what we've talked about so far. Uh, What we've talked about the last two weeks is uh, something that Paul said, actually. He said that we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. And we've talked about what this means uh, in the Old Testament, and, and today God is a God of covenant. But in the Old Testament, he would make covenants with people And often these were conditional covenants. And God would say to the people, if you do A, B, and C, I will meet you with D, E, and F. He made these conditions. Uh, The book of Hebrews says there was a problem with this covenant system. The The problem was humanity. Humanity couldn't keep up their side of the covenant. So he said, I'm going to make a new covenant. And he said, this is going to make the old covenant system obsolete. He said, the new covenant is going to be based on simply this, the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. He said, if you want a relationship with God, it begins and flows from this place that you are completely forgiven in Jesus Christ. It flows from your new reality that you are made pure and holy and righteous in Jesus Christ. That is the beginning point of our relationship with God. Everything flows out of a place of forgiven in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, what I've done is I've taken uh, the last two weeks of messages and hours and hours of study, and I've kind of lumped them into a two-minute uh, statement. So if you have any questions, we have those videos on Facebook, and I would encourage you to go take a look at the last two weeks. If you missed either of those, uh, it'll help you uh, with anything you missed. But this week, we're going to talk about grace in action. Uh, I just want to pray before we do. Uh, Lord, I thank you so much for your presence here this morning. I thank you for your word and, and just, again, the freedoms we have, God, to, uh, to read it together, to study. Lord, I pray Uh, that you would um, uh, just reveal things to us about your nature and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I was uh, reading this week, I was studying, and I was uh, kind of reminded of some of the areas in Jesus' ministry where he displayed uh, a little more passion than other uh, areas, perhaps. Uh, One of those areas where he constantly came back to was over the subject of faith. Uh, If you read the New Testament, what you find is Jesus is constantly returning to the subject of faith. If someone has great faith, he calls it out in them. He says, great is your faith. If somebody is struggling in their faith, he challenges them. And he said, your faith is weak here. It's because you doubt. Why do you doubt? He is constantly just addressing the faith of the people. And it would uh, go on to say later in the New Testament that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we kind of see the reason that Jesus in his ministry harped on it over and over. If you remember uh, the disciples on the boat, when they were fearful for their lives, Jesus didn't address their fear. He didn't say, why are you so scared? He said, where's your faith? And when the disciples couldn't cast out the demon out of the, the, the child, he didn't say, where is your power? He said, where is your faith? So much of our relationship with God and how we walk with God is rooted in one thing. It's rooted in our level of faith. And uh, this really is a journey of faith that we're on with God. Jesus would just, just harp on it over and over because it's so important. Another area uh, was actually over the house of God, the temple. 
If you remember, Jesus uh, went to the temple and he saw that it didn't look like it was supposed to, so he flipped the uh, table. It was a righteous anger, and the Bible says that zeal for his house would consume him. We find this in Jesus, but this week there was a third area that I noticed that Jesus uh, had this great passion, and it wasn't what I was expecting. Uh, It was over the subject of hypocrisy. Uh, In fact, in the book of Matthew alone, Jesus addresses the hypocrisy of the teachers of the law 14 times. Uh, Over and over, he would come back to the subject of hypocrisy, and and he would call it out in the Pharisees. It wasn't like he would mumble under his breath, oh, those, those hypocrites. No, he would say, woe to you, you hypocrites. He would call them out. He was passionate about this. Uh, there are a couple reasons for this. One is because these were the leaders of the faith at the time. These were the, the people that uh, common people looked to them for guidance in their walk with God. And they were just drenched in hypocrisy. So Jesus called it out in them because they were leading the people astray. And the other reason Jesus uh, called it out so much is because this was the polar opposite of who Jesus is. Uh, You cannot say in any matter that Jesus was ever a hypocrite. When Jesus taught something, Jesus lived it. If Jesus taught faith, he lived faith. If he taught power, he lived power. When Jesus taught love and love your neighbors and love your enemies and the love of God, agape love, and he said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And then he comes to the cross. And he's at a crossroads. There's a little pun there. Because if he's a Pharisee at this point, a teacher of the law, and he comes to the cross and he had taught that, you know, uh, greater love has no man, he would say, well, theoretically, yes, that's true. Uh, There's no greater love than for someone to to hang on that cross. But what Jesus did is he said, no, I am going to live it. I taught it, and I'm going to live it before you. No greater love can be shown than what I'm about to do. And church, he did that for you. The greatest display of love ever was on the cross for you. Jesus, church, lived his teachings. But when we come to the subject of grace, it's actually unique. Because when we're talking about Jesus' teachings on grace and you read through the Gospels, you find something really interesting. There are none. If you read the Gospels, there is no teaching on grace. Now John would say things like, uh, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, that the law came through Moses. He would say that this person, Jesus, is full of grace. But if you look at the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, there's no teachings on grace. And Jesus had some incredible teachings. If you looked at the Sermon on the Mount, he also, Mount, he, he also had some long teachings. Uh, it's three chapters in the book of Matthew. And in this uh, one sermon, Jesus touches on the Beatitudes, on being salt and light. He warned against murder and hatred, adultery and lust. Aren't you thankful that I just have one topic every week? Jesus taught about all this. He said uh, he taught love and he taught forgiveness. Still the same sermon. He taught giving and generosity. He taught prayer. He taught about heaven. He taught about eternity. He taught about anxiety. But he never touched on grace. Yet something happened 
when Jesus gave his life on the cross and he handed the keys of the church over to his apostles, they couldn't stop talking about grace. Over a hundred times after the Gospels, they're talking about grace, grace, grace. And as I was thinking, I could be wrong, but I was trying to think of any subject that we have a doctrine on that Jesus didn't teach on. Not only do we have a doctrine on grace, this was the foundation of the New Testament church. Now I understand, church, that the Gospels don't contain everything, but within the Gospels, it's a big deal that Jesus didn't teach on grace, and then all of a sudden, it's all they want to talk about. Why is this? How is this? How can you have an entire doctrine without Jesus laying the foundation in his teachings. It's for one reason. Jesus didn't teach on grace because he did something more powerful. He just lived it. He just lived grace. When Jesus walked the earth, Jesus walked in grace. John said he was full of grace and truth. We get to the, the, the New Testament church and they're, they're saying that we are justified freely by grace. They're saying it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. They're saying we have redemption and we have forgiveness of our sins in accordance with what? With the riches of his grace. There are all of these teachings on grace, not founded in the teachings of Jesus, but founded in the life of Jesus. Time after time, if you look at the, the life and the ministry of Jesus, he would walk into these situations, the, uh, these miracle situations, where he, he's actually pitted between the law and grace. I actually had more trouble this week finding miracles that Jesus performed that didn't pit him between the law and grace. You could look at his very first miracle with the miracle, the, the turning the water into wine. Uh, in the book of John, chapter 2, it says they run out of wine at the wedding, and Jesus looks around and he sees six ceremonial jars. Now, the ceremonial jars are rich in history and in the law and in the, the Old Testament. Just, if you're a Pharisee, you look around and you say, well, no, 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 no. That's not going to be part of the solution. We're not touching the jars. Jesus said, no, I see a need here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step over the law in favor of grace. Now, this is important here because what this tells us, this was just wine at a wedding. There is no situation in your life that is too small. There is no situation, no need in your life that is too small for Jesus to meet you there. We let ourselves get to the place where we have no other option but God. Have you ever heard the saying, when all else fails, pray? Where is that in the Bible that you wait for last to start praying? Even the message of the very first miracle is no. Bring the small stuff to God. He's not just an emergency center. You can bring the small stuff to him. Is anybody hearing me? Good. It's three chapters later in John chapter 5 that uh, Jesus encounters an uh, invalid, a man who, who couldn't walk. And the problem is, 
It was the Sabbath day. Again, it's the law versus grace because the Pharisees even called him out on it and said, you cannot heal on the Sabbath. You can't do anything on the Sabbath. We even talked a couple weeks ago about something in the book of Jeremiah where they said, if you do anything on the Sabbath, here, I'll read it to you. I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. Do you see why they didn't, they didn't want to do anything on the Sabbath? But Jesus comes to this man who has a great need. Is he going to fall back on the law and tell the man to come back the next day? Or is he going to step into grace and say, grace is stronger than the law. The law came through Moses, but grace comes through Jesus Christ. The, the first message of grace, church, is your need matters to Jesus Christ. We can move into Mark chapter uh, 5 with a woman with the issue of blood. We can move into Matthew chapter 8 with a man with leprosy. Now, according to the law, Jesus couldn't touch any, either of them because they were unclean. According to the law, uh, the woman with the issue of blood was supposed to wait outside the city until she stopped bleeding. This was according to the law. Grace. And truth came through Jesus. Are you seeing that miracle after miracle pits Jesus in this position of is he going to lean on grace or fall back on the law? Paul said, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. Under the law, our sin is what is contagious. Our impurities are contagious. You can't touch anyone if you've been bleeding because that's contagious. If you have leprosy, you can't touch anyone because you're contagious. Under grace, church, his righteousness is contagious. It is his righteousness that is stronger, that overcomes your impurities and your iniquities. It is the grace of God, church. The second lesson we find, not that Jesus taught it in the Gospels, but that he lived it, is that the grace of God is more powerful than your imperfection. And I want you to see the clearest occasion to me of grace versus the law in the Bible. It's in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. It says, At dawn he appeared, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Notice the next verse. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? When I was a kid, I used to be into wrestling. Remember WCW? Uh, that was me when I was a kid. But I remember at the end of every show, they had what was called the main event. It was the match that you've been waiting for the entire hour just to get there. Everything else was kind of boring. This is kind of the main event of the law versus grace because they brought this woman and they said she has been found in sin. They could pull out the, the, the law and say right here. It says right here in the law that we should stone her. What does Jesus do in verse 6? says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Grace, church, or is that the law? Then I want you to see this next part. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then Jesus, I want you to pay attention here. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Keep that up there, Greg. This is important. The order of this verse is actually very important. Because what Jesus did not say here is, if you go leave your life of sin, then I won't condemn you. No, he said, I do not condemn you. Go leave your life of sin. We talked about this last week, church. We're not supposed to walk in sin. But we get freedom when we begin in a place of forgiveness. Jesus started with forgiveness and then said, go from here and walk in freedom. Start at a place of forgiveness, understanding you are pure and holy and righteous in Christ Jesus, and then walk in freedom from your sin. Don't think you have to earn His grace. We talked about it last week. We start our relationship with God at the place of covenant. And in Jesus Christ, they said the place of covenant is your sins are wiped away. Your relationship with God starts here. Walk in freedom. Does that make sense? This is the third message of grace. Not based on his teachings, but based on his life. Jesus is more concerned with redeeming you from your sin, with freeing you from your sin, than condemning you in your sin. Jesus' concern is redeeming you, not condemning you. The people would, the, the Pharisees would often be so offended at Jesus because he would continually associate himself with sinners. They would, over and over, they would say, Why does he dine with sinners? Why is he in that house with sinners? I want to show you something in Numbers uh, chapter 9. This is back in the law. Verse 12 says, When they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. But if anyone who is ceremonially clean and not on a journey fails to celebrate the Passover, they must be cut off from their people for not presenting the Lord's offering at the appointed time. They will bear the consequences of their sin. This is the law, church. This is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law. He says two things are going to happen. Renee, you can come up if you would. The first is you will be cut off. That means you will be separated. The first result of your sin in the Old Testament is you are cut off from God. Until a priest makes a sacrifice on your behalf, basically, you are cut off from God. And the second thing we see here is is he says, this is in the Old Testament law, you will bear the consequences of your sin. The law came through Moses. Grace, truth came through Christ. 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 24. In the Old Testament, it said, you will bear the consequences of your sin. Peter writes this, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins. This is the new covenant church. 
In the old covenant, you bore the consequences of your sins. In the new covenant, Jesus has borne your consequences. And your relationship with God begins at this point that Jesus has taken your sins. This is lesson number four, church, if you'd stand with me. Lesson number four, not taken from the teachings of Jesus, but taken from the life of Jesus. The law avoids the sinner. Grace pursues the sinner. The law dejects the sinner. Jesus pursued the sinner, not so that they would stay there, but so he could redeem them from it, so he could forgive them and bring them freedom, church. You know what's so crazy is is Jesus in the Gospels never had a teaching on grace. But Paul said that Jesus said something to him about grace. It's the only thing that we have recorded that Jesus said about grace. One simple statement. My grace is sufficient for you and your weakness. The only teaching we have is Jesus saying this. My grace is sufficient. My grace is more than enough to cover your sin, to cover your past, to cover your struggles. And church, your relationship with God starts there. Come on, that's exciting, church. He bore your sin so that you could walk in freedom and righteousness in Christ. Your relationship with God starts in this reality. You're forgiven. Church, can you close your eyes for just a moment? I want to give the opportunity for response this morning. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I've never made that decision to hand my life over to a loving God. The Word of God says today is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you say, I want to make that decision, we're not going to embarrass you. I just want to ask you to slip your hands into the air for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you say, today is the day that I I begin my relationship with Christ. And if you're here and you say, Pastor, I I have fallen into this, this mindset that my relationship with God is somehow dependent upon me. Today I want to embrace the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and begin my relationship with Him from a place of forgiveness. If that's you, church, can you slip your hand into the air for just a moment? Lord, you see every hand, you see every heart. I pray you meet us here, God, as Renee leads us. I pray that we enter into a place of worship from a place of forgiveness, from a place of boldness and confidence in you. 
As Renee leads us, I'm going to ask a prayer team to come up this morning in case anyone has any need for prayer. We want to offer it. I want to challenge you, church, as Renee leads us. Enter into the presence of God, knowing that you are wanted there, that you enter righteous and holy, not because of anything you've done, but because of the work of Christ on the cross. Enter His presence, church, with boldness. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.